This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. So as I was uh, <laughs> as I was walking through the hallway, coming into the service area here, I passed like 162 infants. So I would like to just commend all of you young mothers with babies. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. My heart goes out to you. I remember those days. I just wanted to pronounce a blessing on you this morning. Could you receive it? Lord bless you, keep going, it gets better. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. We'll have somebody get a Bible to you so you can follow along. Also, in your seat back, there's a calendar with all of our events for the month of July. July is coming to a close. We'll have a new calendar for you next week for August. But on the back side of that calendar with all the events that we have going on in July, there's a space for you to take notes. I want to encourage you to follow along. We have four points this morning that I'm going to be covering, and it's good to jot those things down. I want to challenge you in the front of the service, and if I remember at the end, to take those four things and apply them to your lives this week as you walk through life, okay? The title of today's message, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, is Think About Others. Now, you know the series has been, it's all in your head, and we've talked a lot about process of thinking, your thoughts, what you give yourself over to as far as your thinking, and how that produces your actions in life. And today, closing up, we understand that Paul had a very healthy, good friendship and relationship with the Philippians. And the reason that it was so healthy and and good was because they considered one another. To have friends, one must be friendly. If you find yourself alone or frustrated because you have no friends, you got to be friendly. And uh, sure, there's seasons that we go through that are more difficult, and the Lord wants to teach us through something of loneliness, maybe. But we live in a society that can tend to be more selfishly motivated than others motivated. But that's not what it looks like for us, does it? That's not what it looks like for God's church. God's church is supposed to be about caring for, loving one another. Chapter 4, verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your care for us. And and by your care for us, we can see an example of how we can care and love one another. We want this to be authentic, genuine community, Lord. Your church, your family, your gathering, your assembly. 
so that we can be an example to the world of what it looks like to, to love one another, what it looks like to care for one another. And we've received that example. We see it in your word today, and we want to apply it to our lives. Not to follow the way that the world does things and become more and more selfish and self-centered, but that we would be more selfless and loving to help each other to be an example of who you are, who you desire us to be. Father, I thank you for that time of worship that we can offer you, the fruit of our lips. I thank you, God, for this time in your word that we can, we can worship you through the study and application of your word in our lives. And I thank you, Father, for the tithes and offerings that we give you today, the, the, the gifts, the, the tithes that we give, and that it, they would be done in a form of worship, God. It wouldn't be to anybody. It would be to you. And that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the things that I really enjoy about reading through Philippians and now finishing it this morning is the, the, the tone of the letter, the joy, the peace, and, and good fellowship with each other. How many of you guys like to have good fellowship with friends and family? There's nothing sweeter than, than hanging out or getting together with somebody that, that you are like-minded, that you are blessed in that fellowship. And I pray that the Lord would continue to cultivate that in us, in his church here, and that we'd be able to exemplify it, and that we would be able to write letters like this to each other. <laughs> Number one of our, how many points? Number one of our four points. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Number one is care. Do you know what it means to care for somebody? It's you giving them some kind of focus or attention to show them that you consider them, that you think about them. And one of the, the most favorite things that we experienced when we lived overseas for a decade was when we would receive care packages. People would get a box and put a bunch of stuff in it that they knew we liked and they'd send it to us and they'd give it to us to let us know that they cared, that we weren't there, that we were serving on the field or whatever the case may be. And I remember one time we received a care package and I was very excited opening it, getting, I mean, what, what did they send? It was from my parents and I thought, you know, what surprises are within and I opened the box, and, and right there on top was a big bag of Costco Reese's, or not Reese's, Costco peanut butter cups. Have you guys ever had those? They're the creamiest, delightful thing ever. And, I, and my heart jumped out of my chest, and I said, my parents care. <laughs> Somebody loves me. They didn't have peanut butter cups in Croatia. And I grabbed the bag, and I noticed this is not normal. This is a lot lighter than it should be. And I looked, and somebody had opened it and eaten more than half of them and put it in the box and sent it. 
And I was so frustrated. Frankly, I was, I was mad. And I called my dad and I said, how dare you send me a care package to let me know that you care, but I know you don't care because you opened the Reese's and you, or the peanut butter cups and you ate half of them and then you sent the rest to me. He said, Tim, I did not do it. And I realized that there was another uh, layer of tape over the tape that he had put on. And what did it say on it? Customs, customs, customs. The customs agent had inspected the inside of the box, saw the peanut butter cups, and probably had some for himself and shared some with his colleagues, but he was kind enough because he cared <laughs> to close it. He ziplocked the Ziploc seal. He cared, and he put it back in the box and sent it to me. My friend Ken, who is still a missionary to this day in Austria, a, a, a precious brother, when we were in hung, living in Hungary at the Bible College, his sister would send him care packages. And the reason that he loved receiving care packages from his older sister so much is because he never knew what he was going to get. And she would go to the dollar store and just like go to the shelf and put a bunch of random stuff in. You know those, those pencils that used to have like the crazy hair, neon hair, those pencils? She'd throw five of those in there. She'd throw a couple newspapers from their local newspaper. She'd send all of this random things. You know, here's a random book from Goodwill, throw that in there. And then he would take the box and he would go around to all of his friends and he'd say, hey, do you guys want any of this stuff? Look what my sister sent me. And he loved it. Do you think that he loved the stuff in the box? Ah, probably not as much as I like peanut butter cups, as it shows sometimes. But that his sister cared enough to send him a package for however much money it costed. And at first I was like, your sister's dumb, man. Sorry, Ken, if you're watching. Like, it costs money to send... Yeah, but you know what the point is? She's letting him know that she cares. When is the last time that you let somebody know that you care about them? We live in a digital age. Everything happens so fast. You know, you can just send somebody a text message out of the blue. This is something that I love about technology. I could be doing something and somebody could pop into my head. Has that ever happened to you? I wonder what so-and-so's doing. Oh, well, whatever. You can pick up your phone. You can say, hey, I was just thinking about you. Love you. How are you doing? And I love receiving those kinds of text messages. On the next slide will be my phone number. As many of you would like to text me this week, I'd appreciate it. Boost my self-esteem. So to let people know that you care cultivates good relationship, friendship, and it becomes valuable to you because... Other people can let you know as well that you care about them. In this day and age of the digital world, we've stopped sending cards to each other. Does anybody here still send cards? You know how sweet it is? Way more people than I thought were going to raise their hand, but I've never gotten one from any of you, so put your hands down. 
You know how sweet it is to receive a handwritten card from somebody? There's a precious woman who comes to the first service who those connection cards, I've never told anybody this before, okay? Those connection cards that you fill out with your your address and all that stuff, she takes those cards and she writes you a handwritten welcome to paradise, thanks for visiting us card. And if she doesn't write you one, then don't tell her I told you. I I won't tell you what her name is. No, it takes a little bit of time. It lets people know that, hey, we actually, we really do care for you. There's a, a card that a sister in the church wrote me uh, a number of months back. Uh, maybe it was even last year, but it was just the sweetest card of how she prays for our family. She loves us and she wanted to encourage me. And I hadn't received a card like that in a long time. Do you know what I did with it? Usually when I receive cards, I rip them up and throw them in the trash. But this one, I took it and I put it in the top drawer of my desk. And every time I'm feeling a little down, every time I feel like, what am I even doing? These people don't even care. I pull out that card and I read it. And I cry a little. And I put it back in because I know that somebody actually does. Do you ever ask yourself, does anybody even care? Does anybody care about me? Does anybody know what I'm going through? Does anybody know what's happening in my life? Here's your challenge this week. I want you to let somebody know that you care about them. And it can be a friend or it can be a family. It could be a coworker. Let them know, hey, I want you to know that I care about you. And if that's what you're going to be putting out, if that's what you're going to be giving people, then that's the kind of thing that you're also going to receive. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders as he's going to Jerusalem. He says, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this. He says, I've shown you by my actions. I've shown you through what I do. I've shown you by work. I've shown you by doing things that are not easy. Is that what laboring means? It means it costs something. And it's always going to cost you something to let somebody else know that you care about them. He says, I've labored in all things for you that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. I love this verse because there's, this verse isn't found in the Gospels or any other place, but this is something that was passed along to Paul. He says, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to be. There's people, it seems like they're just takers. Just give me more and more. What can I get out of it? What am I getting out of this relationship? What do you have to offer me? And if you have nothing to offer me, then I want nothing to do with you. We're not those kind of people. We're the kind of people that exemplify Jesus Christ. We're the kind of people that it is more blessed to give than to receive. We're the kind of people that we care for one another.
I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. You have every opportunity, church. You have every opportunity to care for people. These people cared so much for Paul. We'll see a little later that they send a gift to him. They had to send a messenger that took weeks and months to get to him. Oh, the cost is too great. The cost is too great to care for other people. Well, not when it's compared to this kind of care. Not when it's compared to just picking up your phone or your smart device and, and texting somebody or writing somebody, sitting down at a table and, and penning a letter. I'll never forget receiving Grace's letters to me when we were engaged but separated by distance before we were married. She was living in Croatia. She moved with the family down there where we were going to be starting the church. I lived in Austria. I was finishing my internship and she would mail me these love letters. And uh, I still have a bunch of them. And, and what, we're going to come to it again a little bit later, but what, what was the first thing that you do with a love letter? Have you ever received a love letter before? What's the first thing that you do? I smell it. Open it. Oh, yeah, that's my baby. She concealed her fragrance in the envelope. And the flood of memories comes back of how beautiful she is. You lack no opportunity. Though surely you did care, you lacked opportunity, but you've shown me now. You continue to show me. Point number two, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Number two, Number one is care. What's number two? Learned. You could say content. That is the point. But you have to learn to be content. You have to learn to have little. But you know what? You also have to learn to have a lot. You can have an increase come into your life and you won't know what to do with it because you haven't been a proper steward of what God had given you before. Jack Whitaker does anybody know Jack? Jack Whitaker won $315 million in the lottery in West Virginia. He told Time, I wish we had torn the ticket up. Since winning, Whitaker's daughter and granddaughter both died due to drug overdoses. Just eight months after winning, he was robbed of $545,000. This is what he said. I just don't like Jack Whitaker. I don't like the hard heart I've got, he said. I don't like what I've become. He's the last person I would have prototyped for going completely crazy, but he did, Don McNay, a financial consultant to lottery winners and the author of Life Lessons from the Lottery Tells Time about Whitaker. No question it was because he won the lottery. You, you've ever thought, man, if I just won the lottery, we live in Vegas. If I just go down and put a couple bucks down and, and hit it big, I would be happy. Then everything would be fine. 
No, it won't be fine. It'll be worse for you. Like my good friend said, mo money, mo problems. We go way back. You'll have more issues to deal with. And even if you have a lot, there's still a learning curve to contentment. The more that you have does not mean the the happier you'll be. And I love that God so knows us so well that he gives us just what we need, not what we want. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I learned both to be full and to be hungry. Learned, 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 learned. This is the question. Can you recognize discontentment? Because that's what it takes for you to learn how to be content. Why am I discontent about this thing? Why am I not content with this? And when you recognize your discontentment, you can start to learn how to be content. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6, says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness means God-likeness or to have the same kind of mindset as God has. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can bring nothing out. We can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. If there's anything outside of the realm of of you having clothes on your body and food in your belly, there's no reason for you to be discontent. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We live in a day of great discontentment. I don't know if keeping up with the Joneses is ever as strong as it's been in history as it is today. We look at our our social media platforms and, and we think, why are they happy and I'm not? Why do they have that and I don't? Why are they doing that with their families and I'm not? Listen, stop and consider the great and mighty things God has done for you. Stop and think about if you were so, if you would stop focusing on how unhappy you are, you would be happy to consider the blessings that God has poured into your life. It's great gain, contentment. And all of us suffer from dealing with contentment to a, one degree or another. My my challenge to you this morning is if you can recognize this, start to take notes, write it down so that you can what? So that you can learn. So you can learn to be content in all things. And who knows, maybe God will give you a little more when you finally find yourself in a place of contentment. It says that he, he gives according to the need. Yeah? What does God have? God has everything. 
He can give you anything. We're going to come back to that. Keep that in mind. I've learned to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is one of the most misused Bible verses in Philippians, if not the New Testament. And it's always plastered over the top of a star football player after the Super Bowl. I can do all things through Christ. I'm going to Disneyland. When in actuality, it could be, should be put on, plastered over the, the, the star of the losing team down on one knee, considering what was just lost. Because that's the point. The point is whatever we go through, not just the victories, the, the, the whole package. The confidence is in God, not in my ability not in my gifting, not in my calling. God, I can do all things through you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even suffer. That is where my contentment lies. Verse 14, point number three. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. What's number three? If you can guess, I'll tell you if you can't. Share. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. What does it mean to share with somebody in their distress? It means to meet them where they're at and understanding to help them and carry them through difficulty. It's lightening the load. It's blessing instead of cursing. It's the opposite. I love to reference, but it's the opposite of Job's wife to Job. Job just found himself utterly alone. And in his aloneness, as he's taking the potsherd, the shard of pot, and he's scraping the boils off of his skin, his wife says, looks at him and, and, and says, you're pathetic. I'm paraphrasing now. But what she did say was, Job, curse God and die. Give up. Stop. The opposite of that is coming alongside them, somebody and helping them in their distress. It is sharing with one another. We say that we're a family, right, at church. We say we're a family, but it's really indicative of how much a family we are how we, by how we help each other when we're in distress or, or difficulty. Oh man, I love you, but you know, be warm and be filled. I, I hope that works out for you. Now we have to meet each other and, and share with each other. We have a big family, five kids. And over the years, we've not really ever had a lot of money, but in the early days, we had very little money. And something that's ingrained in our kids' head is that we as a family share. We share everything together. We don't have enough money for everybody to get ice cream, so we're going to go to McDonald's, get one ice cream cone, and everybody gets a lick. Don't take two. Pass it on. I saw that. No bites. We share. 
because we care. And we say to them, hey, kids, sharing is caring. We care for each other. Until my son, he, uh, he caught on that this is quite the beneficial arrangement. And he convinced two of his other siblings that they should share their allowance. <laughs> hey, you guys, us three, we'll share our allowance and we'll put it together and get something that, I, that we want. And I'm like, okay, this is where I draw the line. This is, a new, this is next level, guys. Check it out. Individual stewardship. You will not share your allowance and you will save for the things that you want yourself. And the only person that's not required to share is dad. So get over it. It's just the way that it is. I get my own ice cream. I'm kidding. You share with people that you care about. And I want to encourage you to be sharers. Look at, he says that no other church shared with him, helped him, except for them. What a commendation. What, a, what an incredible encouragement. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 7, we have it on the screen for you, says this, Paul to the Corinthian church, did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? You know, some people charge for the gospel. That is unbelievable to me, but it's not new. Apparently, they were even doing it back in Paul's day. I did not commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge. I robbed other churches. I don't know if he said it in that tone, but it sounds better. I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked. The brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. Shout out. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. He's saying, I was among you, and I got a, a second job, and I had other churches supporting me, so that there was no lines blurred, there was no gray area, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is free of charge. It's very important. Because as soon as we start to charge for the gospel, all of the other requirements and standards and legalism sleeps in, slips in. This is what it costs you. And then the focus starts to become on the cost rather than the obedience of the son. The son was obedient unto death to the father so that you can freely enter into right relationship with God the father. Free of charge, no longer a standard is required. Other people were sharing with me so that I didn't stumble you. Concerning giving and receiving but you only, Philippians, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. You know somebody cares about you when they decide to share with you, don't you? They're like, you would share with me? One of my love languages, if you don't know this, if we ever go out to eat with each other, I really want to try what you're eating, <laughs> even if it's the same thing. 
I go out with my brother-in-law, and I'm like, let me see if your burger is better than mine. I just need to check. He's like, sure, here you go. Every time. Hey, do you question, do you think about this? Do you share with others to show them that you care? Or is it just what you can receive from a relationship? For even in Thessalonica, you sent me aid once and again for my necessities. Verse 17, point number four. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. Think that last part of the verse. Think about how that's connected to Paul's level of contentment. I'm full. I have all and I abound. Well, you know, you're in prison, bro. You don't got nothing. You're on death row. You're going to trial. How are you full? How do you have all? You know how? Because he was content with what he received from God. And he shared with others what had been shared with him because he cared for people. And he was friendly, therefore, he had friends. I'm full. Number three, number four, sorry. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. What is required in order for you to receive fruit? You got to go to the store and pay a cashier money and you you got it. No, no, no. How do you get fruit? You take a seed and you plant it in the ground and you water it. And then over time, what happens? The tree grows, and as it, as it grows, it, it starts to produce fruit to the benefit of the owner that cultivated and cared for it. And some things grow faster than others. Some things you receive fruit quickly from. You know, some things you receive fruit a lot slower from but it doesn't mean that it's not coming. Do not grow weary in doing good, for you shall reap if you do not lose heart. The indicative there is if you're not sowing, you're not going to be reaping. And listen to this, the more that you sow, the more that you're going to reap. He says, I'm not looking at the gift for my benefit. I'm looking at this gift from you for your benefit because I know that you sowing into others is going to produce an abundance of fruit to your account. Do you want to be fruitful? If you want to be fruitful, you have to be a sower. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma. Like that love letter. Oh. An acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And my God shall supply all your want. My God shall supply all of what you'd like to have. No, my God will supply all of your need. God takes care of our needs, not so much our wants. And we think, this is what I need, God. And God says, no, you don't need that. 
Don't worry, you don't need that. You don't need $350 million, Tim. Trust me, you don't need, I'll give you what I need. But God, I need this and I need that. And and if God is so great and he has access to to so much because God owns everything, right? The Psalm says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God, give me some extra cattle over here. He says, you can't handle it. By the way, I'm not gonna give it to you because you're not a sower. And, and if you're responsible with little, then you can be given much, but you're not given more until you're a good steward or responsible with the little that you have. This is a biblical principle that is absolutely provable in our lives. And I learned this lesson from somebody who faithfully demonstrated it, and I saw the fruit that came to their account over and over and over again. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus' instructions to you and to me. Whatever measure you give, that's what you're going to receive. If you're a little of giver, uh, if you're a if you're a giver of little, if you're a little of giver, if you're a giver of little, then expect little in return. If you're a giver of much, don't do it for the benefit. Don't do it for the principle. Have a full heart in giving, and and the the fruit is guaranteed to come back to you and bless you. Malachi, there's what many people would say is one of the only places, if not the only place in the Bible, that God uh, challenges the nation of Israel in their tithes and offerings. He says, you guys have robbed me by not giving me your tithes and your offerings. Let this be known. Test me in this, that when you give to me, if I don't return it, even more so back to you. Now, you and I can discuss and argue about whether that applies to us or not, but if it's in God's word and it's a principle that he had for them, his people, I'm pretty sure I can apply it to my life too, especially with the concept of sowing and reaping that we see clearly in the New Testament, especially with the words of Jesus saying, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your bosom. But we're takers. I need more. I don't want this relationship to be a detriment for me. I want it to be a benefit. Don't be like that. You're not going to receive the fullness of fruit that comes to an account of a person that's a giver. And he says to them, Not that I sought the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He didn't say he wouldn't receive it. (laughs) He says, he says, not that I seek it, but I received it. Indeed, I have all and am abound. I am full having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. 
Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Tell everybody I said hi. The brethren who are with me greet you. Everybody with me says hi too. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Look at this in closing with me, and then we'll go to our points. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Where was Paul? Maybe he was being held captive, but he was in the company of Caesar and his household. This is the number one guy in the world. Paul's stewardship of the little that he had been given, he was faithful to continue to sow and to continue to care and to continue to give to to the point where he was elevated to be in the household, the company of Caesar, technically the earthly king of the world. And he says it like it's no big deal. What would you say if you were in the company of a present-day superstar or world leader? What would you do? What would you say? Get nervous? Oh, man. How's it going? Uh, um, nice to meet you. So I want to share this with you guys. Don't make fun of me about it, okay, because I'm kind of sensitive sometimes. But... Back when I was a new believer, I was very zealous. I was very zealous. I was zealous for sharing the gospel with people. And I would have dreams, for, for whatever reason, of um, hanging out with famous people. Like this one time, I don't know why, but me and Britney Spears were hanging out. It was like the early 2000s. And she was going through a rough patch, which we all know was true a little later. But I was pleading with her, Brittany, like you need Jesus. Like your life isn't going to have any satisfaction until you submit and repent for your sins. She's like, yeah, Tim, I know, but blah, 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 whatever. And I woke up and I'm like, Brittany Spears is going to get saved. And if I was ever able to talk to her, I would share the gospel with her. Another dream I had, for whatever reason, me and George W. Bush were hanging out on Air Force One, having a conversation. I still remember in my mind's eye, he was sitting across his desk, and he was smiling at me, and we were talking, and I was telling him about Jesus. He's like, yeah, I believe in Jesus too. I'm like, well, you better be sure that you're making the right decisions as president of the United States. (laughs) How come nobody's laughing at this? Nobody (laughs) finds this funny? The first service was in stitches. This is ridiculous. Whatever, whatever level of accountability you have in the people that you have around you now, you're not going to have a greater influence on people until you, you're a good steward of, of the people that you have around you now. You're not going to have a greater amount of money in your bank account if you're not a good steward of the the money that you have in your bank account now. You know, the the crazy thing, that it's it's a higher statistical probability that if you win the lottery for you to go bankrupt than if you never won it. It's higher 
likelihood for you to go bankrupt if you win the lottery than if, than if you never did. What are you doing with your stewardship? And are you cultivating and sowing to the degree that you're expecting to get more? And when you get it, the response would be, no big deal. This is a biblical principle, and I'm going to continue in this process of sowing and reaping. In closing, four points for you to take away for this week. Cover what we looked at. Number one, excuse me. Care for others because God cares for you. Why should I care about anybody? Care for others because God cares about you and he's cared for you and he continues to care for you. And that's the the best reason to care for one another. Number two, learn to be content. Learn to be content. Because God has what's best for you. You may not agree, (laughs) but with you all disagree. Because I know that God has his best for you. Therefore, through what you go through, learn contentment and have peace. Number three, share with others because God shared his son for your needs. This is, I think, my favorite one, because everybody has needs, but you had an eternal need that needed to be addressed. You had a need of of the curse of sin that nobody could meet you in, but God did. God said, I'm going to send my only son on behalf of your sins so that he can take the penalty so that we can be reconciled. Share with others because he shared with you. Number four, sow the seeds because God will bring fruitfulness. Listen, church, sow the seeds not to receive something. Sow the seeds expecting fruitfulness to come because God says so. My life changed when, as a believer, I didn't give to receive or expect something in return, but I gave knowing that as I went through that process that there was going to be fruitfulness in my life. And now it's like not even a question. Write the check, give, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever I do, I, I expect to receive fruit from it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to us this morning. Thank you for this reminder that even in in our culture, we can focus a little more on the taking what we get out of something, how we can benefit from a relationship, what we are going to receive. But help us to have the perspective that clearly is taught in your word that It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that through the sowing of seed, there should be an expectation to receive. God, I thank you for continuing to sanctify us. But that your word washes us. It gives us the right perspective. I thank you, God, for this study through Philippians and how we can have the right perspective 
thinking, the right mentality. We can adjust our process of thought, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for everybody who contributed to potluck today and that before they even knew what the word was going to be, unless they read ahead, that they were giving and sharing with others in a way that's going to be a blessing. So bless, Father, I pray them. Bless our fellowship after. Bless those who stay. Thank you for your provision and for the food that we're going to share in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.